Morning, everybody. Happy. No, it's not a snow day. And welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Morning, Jason. Morning, Susie. This, we've got snow are? here. Yeah, southeast London. We have snow. Yeah, but well, we've got it in Kent as well. The daffodils are very, very sad. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it won't stay around too long. Now, this is the People's Pay-Per-View, so get into the comments, ask us your questions. We'll do our best to answer them for you. You are the third guest, or the second guest, depending on how you're counting this. So get into the comments and take part. Those of you listening later on podcast, you're just going to have to get your boots on and go to school, whether you like it or not. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the opening statements of the prosecution in the trial over the murder of nine-year-old Olivia Pratt Corbell, alleged uh, shot in her own hallway when a gunman burst in while trying to shoot a gangland target, allegedly. It makes a very uncomfortable reading, not least that headline, um, and we can't discuss it here for contempt of court reasons because there's a trial ongoing, but it's worth your time reading in full, and of course we will keep you up to date with how the trial goes, and we'll probably discuss it by the time there's a verdict at the end. But in the meantime, we have to start, most unusually for us, on what looks suspiciously like good news. Steady on, everybody. But on page two of today's paper, it's revealed that we may be inching closer to a pay deal for the very many NHS staff, staff, sorry, staff who have been on strike. Jason, can you take us through this? Is there really light at the end of the tunnel? From what I've heard, Susie, that the Health Secretary, Steve Barclay, has been trying to get money from the Treasury for some time to resolve this. Um, he realises how damaging it is. Um, they particularly want to deal with the nurses because the Tories went into this thinking with a kind of slightly Thatcherite mentality, you know, we're stand up to the strikers, you know, we're come down heavy on these unions bringing the country to a halt, and then found actually the public opinion, as poll after poll showed, that there was a lot of sympathy for the nurses. Mm. Um Having realised this, um, Barclay was then told to try and resolve it after having originally refused to talk, which I'll come back to. Um, now, there's two major questions here. Yeah? One, can he get the money out of the Treasury? And if he can't get the money out of the Treasury, where does it come from? So if it's going to come from within the NHS budget, that's very good for nurses who deserve a pay rise. Um, as we've reported frequently, um, all the salary is, is at a time of major kind of cost of living crisis is not sufficient. They are using food banks. Um, they are unable to afford to drive to work. They can't put food on their children's table. The case is quite clear why they need a pay rise. By comparison with nurses in almost every other major European country, they're paid extraordinarily badly. Um, so, can they get the money? And if it comes to the NHS budget, does that mean it comes from um, elsewhere? And does that mean they're kind of robbing Peter to pay for? Exactly. What is the NHS budget not being used to pay for if it's funding the nurses? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if they start taking it away from other services, that's problematic. Um, so everything would be about the kind of the, the resources. It, it, it's the, the, Then you come back to this issue, which I kind of briefly raised, of, why didn't they do this earlier? <laughs> you know. Really? I mean, it kind of wonders why they're doing it now. I mean, what do you think, everybody? Do you think that this is the right thing to do and they must come to a deal? But where do you want that money to come from? Do you want it to come from existing NHS budgets, which, uh, as Labour pointed out yesterday, has had 144,000 cancelled appointments and surgeries, the 
because of the strike action and which they have to try find a way to catch up with, as well as all the pandemic backlogs. Because, of course, the government has been refusing to discuss this for months and months, as you said, Jason. So that's why the strikes went ahead. We had nurses, physiotherapists, ambulance drivers, paramedics, midwives, um, and all these cancellations. Is that what made the government change its mind? The, I mean, the fact that you mentioned that it was they retained public support, but also that the backlog was just getting worse and worse and worse, or... Was it the fact that the junior doctors and now even the consultants are, are balloting to join the strike action? Well, I mean, if we look at it from a, a, a I'll try to do this, it's quite hard, but we look at it from a Tory point of view. Go on, James. I'm going to do my best. It, 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 it's, it's a very murky world. It's not much fun doing this deep dive, but, but, but for All the right, sake programme, I'm going to have a go, Susie. So <laughs> if you look at it from a Tory point of view, but they, they, they came from what I said from kind of a sort of like very kind of, traditional Thatcherite way of thinking um, of, uh, you know, we, we stand up to unions because we look tough and it, and it plays well with, with, with our audience. That, that didn't work. There's also an element that they were concerned that if they give ground with one um, union, then they have to give ground to the others. Now, now, what they're trying to do here is a little bit of divide and rule. So solve the nurses, yeah, uh, mm. but not necessarily solve the other pay disputes. Um, that, again, could prove to be problematic long term. Let's see. Yes, well, we'll have to find out, won't we? It's, it will become clear, I'm sure, in time. But, uh, you know, the, how, how they're going to actually fund it, I think, is the important thing, because previous nurses' pay rises, which were below inflation, um, they came from the existing budget, which has led to some of the problems that we've got right now. I think the one that Rishi Sunak ordained as Chancellor was from the existing budget. Now, Marco says the local elections are coming up. So, hey, ho, let's shake the money tree. You cynic, Marco. You mm. cynic. Even we haven't suggested that. And we are lifelong career journalists. <laughs> um, maybe Marco's the editor in disguise. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yes, there are local elections in May. They don't want strike action going over that time, do they? So maybe that's also played into their thinking. They've got enough problems coming up for the local elections. Um, I suspect there's going to be some some other sudden policy announcements just before May to try and move things on a little bit. We'll have to see how it all goes. But uh, the RMT has also suspended strikes at Network Rail. So that's another bit of good news because uh, they've got a deal edging a bit closer as well. But there is still an ambulance strike on March the 20th. So put a big red dot in your calendars, everybody, and don't fall over on March the 20th. Now, uh, keep asking us your questions. What do you think about all these paid deals edging closer? Does it show that strike action works or does it show that the government has been held to ransom by militant lefties? Do let us know. Um, but first, uh, we, it's a Tory government, as Jason has pointed out, so it's not all good news, I'm afraid. Um, and on page eight of yesterday's is yesterday's announcement of what is basically going to be the Tories' next three-word slogan for the general election, stop the boots. Uh, now, Jason, they've announced a, a new plan to discourage migrants from crossing the channel in these dinghies. Uh, but what are they suggesting exactly? How is this going to work? Because, I mean, they've tried to stop the boats for an awful long time and they haven't managed it yet, have they? So last year, there were 45,000 people made the crossing uh -huh. across the channel. Um, the, the plan is not to go after the gangs or criminal gangs who are behind the people smugglers, but to go for the victims of people smuggling. So... If you arrive in the UK as what they term illegally, you will have no right to stay in this country. 
you will face automatic deportation to where, gosh knows, we'll come on to that. And even if your claim is subsequently found to be justified, um, as is many, many of the cases of currently people seeking refuge in this country, you will no, have no right ever to return here again. Um, it's, it's not subtle, this, Susie. No. It's, it's, it, it, it's a slightly confected problem in terms of um, they like to tell us that this is what's the most important issue on the doorstep. And anybody who opposes this plan is out of step with public opinion. I, I dislike people who try to tell me what public opinion is and isn't in this way, as though they speak for a, a, a kind of quiet, silent majority. Um, actually, all the polls show the most important issue on the doorstep at the moment is, is the NHS, followed by the state of the economy, i.e. energy prices. Um, but hey-ho, they, they've decided this is the issue. Um, and they approach it from the most cynical way because they they invent a kind of a kind of well not invent they stir up the worst instincts in humankind for political advantage yeah and that's what makes me so angry because you could come at this and go this is a really awful problem and which people are dying trying to seek refuge in this country and they're not some homogenous homogenous mass they're not just some like kind of all kind of young Albanians. They are desperately sad individual stories behind each of these people in many, many cases who have fled countries such as Afghanistan, Syria and Iraq. And in the case of Afghanistan and Iraq, there are two countries where Britain had led military operations which are partly responsible for these people having to leave this, uh, those countries. So we have a duty towards them. And yet they bundle them together as using horrifically incendiary and insensitive language as though it's an invasion or we're being swamped. And then to, they then exaggerate the problems. But one of the most offensive things yesterday, among the many offensive things, was Suella Braveman saying there are 100 million people who want to this country and we must stop them. Where's that figure come from? Yeah. No justification for it. There's no basis in evidence for 100 million. Yeah. I, it, and then she was asked about it this morning. She says, I have a duty to speak the truth. Well, if you want to speak the truth, tell the story of these people and why they've generally come here and why they've been trafficked and why they're being exploited. Yes. And why they need sanction because they've been tortured or they fled conflict or because their lives are at risk because of oppressive regimes. That's the truth. But no, 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 no. We'll just invent a, a, a mystical figure to, to kind of incite fear and then use this for our own political advantage. It, yeah. it's, it's deeply, deeply depressing. <clears throat> I think that's been neatly summed up. Thank you, Jason. Now, Ron is neatly summing up, I suppose, uh, the alternative viewpoint and the one that the Conservative Party and the government would like us all to consider and to be thinking about. One of the things that Suella Braverman said is that those who do not support this plan are in some way, you know, she is backing the, the silent majority, not those who would, and I quote, betray Britain. So she's kind of implying that if you if you aren't entirely behind this, you're you're not patriotic. You're betraying your country. If you're one of those people who doesn't like their um, 
immigration idea. Now, Rum says, this is being cruel to be kind. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's actually ever possible, Rum. Just those first four words. Um, cruelty isn't kindness uh, and kindness isn't cruelty. And you can't say that I'm, it's, it's, it's harder to be cruel to you than it is to be kind. This isn't like you're taking sweets away from a child in order to encourage them to behave better. This is actual cruelty. Uh, we don't want any more Manchester Arena bombings. There was uh, inquests heard this week, Ron, actually, or end of last week, that the Manchester Arena bombing took place because of failings by MI5. Uh, yes, the person who conducted it was a Libyan refugee. But as Jason just pointed out, um, David Cameron uh, was one of those who ordered RAF drones to drop a lot of bombs on Libya for his own political ends and then went to uh, the square and the Taria Square in the middle of um, Beirut, not Beirut, Tripoli, sorry, uh, and shook hands with everybody and got some good PR out of it. Uh, and then we did have to accept some Libyan refugees. And then it's the responsibility of our security services to make sure that they're all behaving. Uh, the London Bridge bombings. I'm not aware of those being a result of any kind of refugee. Grooming gangs, etc., etc. Not a result of those being a result of refugees either. They were the result of um, actual lawful immigration. Um, from countries which uh, had a had a safe route to get here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, while Sir Keir Saville can't define a woman. Um, Sir Keir Starmer, uh, as you're talking about there, and implying that he was responsible somehow for the failure to prosecute Jimmy Saville, had nothing to do with the failure to prosecute Jimmy Saville. One of the biggest reasons there was a failure to prosecute Jimmy Saville was because his victims didn't come forward uh, until after he died. And it made everything very, very difficult to do things before because, um, you know, the police failed over Jimmy Savile. Uh, it wasn't a case that Keir Summer really had a chance to do much before Savile died. So I think we've probably dealt with pretty much most of that. For those of you um, who are wondering how many of these migrants that come across on boats are genuine refugees and not, I can give you some figures. The Home Office doesn't tell you, right? Number one, if the Home Office doesn't want to give you the figure, worry. Number one, right? But... There's been some analysis of the figures they have released and they've managed to kind of reverse engineer it to figure out that about 61% of um, everyone who comes across on a boat is a definite nailed on refugee, right? There's no issue. That's 61%. So the law which they are proposing means that 61% of those people who are going to be booted out, who are going to be forbidden from ever, ever applying, who are going to be just refused the right to be here, are genuine, genuine refugees who have every right to be here and who we have responsibilities towards. 61%. From some countries, like Syria, for example, the rate is much, much higher. 88% of Syrians on those boats are genuine refugees and are given final approved status to settle in this country. So it's not a case that everyone who comes across in those boats is an Albanian. Uh, the problem with the Albanians was, I think, only over the past year, and it kind of got sorted out because they did a deal with the Albanian government. And that's the done the most to actually stop the Albanian numbers in the in the refugee boats. Mike says, who, I think it's a reference to Ron, who are you being kind to? Not the desperate people in boats, for sure. And doesn't it occur to you that preventing legal routes means more people hiding from the system and likely to turn into radicals? This is kind of the thing that bothers me a bit about this, Jason aside from the incredible cruelty, is that Sorella Bradman is talking about smashing the business model of those people smuggling gangs who run the boats. 
And she will do that by stopping the, their customers getting what they want at the end of the day. And that strikes me as being very, very similar as saying you're going to smash the business model of the drug gangs by arresting the customer. Like, that hasn't worked, has it? How, how is this going to work? Is this going to deter anybody? I mean, this is ultimately the, the reasons it will will not work are that it doesn't act as a deterrent. Um, there's a refusal to accept any form of, of, of safe routes. We have some safe routes, but they're incredibly difficult to use. I mean, for example, we have a safe route for Afghanistan, but like, <laughs> we left them behind. Just only one person was able to access it in one month. I mean, that's the, the difficulty of these safe routes. But the major problem is, is we have a backlog of 160,000 people seeking asylum whose cases have not yet been dealt with because of the inefficiency of the Home Office. Now, this is just going to create an even greater backlog. Um, and they are, um, they, they say they're going to, 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 to send them, have a duty to send them as quickly as possible to a, to a, a third country, i.e. this is what I mean by Rwanda. Um, but as I said, there are 45,000 people crossed the channel last week. Rwanda says at the moment its maximum capacity is 1,000 people they could take. Mm. That could rise, they say, in the future. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, just putting aside the ethical question of actually kind of kind of exporting our problem to another country with a quite a problematic human rights record, um, that leaves forty-four thousand people. Where are they going to be detained? Where are they going to be housed while we process their, cla their claims? How much is that going to cost? How does this solve the issue? It, and it, how it do you speed up those claims? You have to get them through the system quicker. Yeah. If you have fewer spaces. If you want to be fairer, you have to do it quicker as well because it takes two, three years. Um, and why are we detaining everybody who comes for an indefinite, ineffable period of time? This law's got a rule saying that they can hold people for 28 days mm -hmm. and then even longer. Some of the people at Manston, which is the last military base, ex-military base they've tried to put people on, have been there for you know, far um, unlawful periods of time. Can't remember exactly how long. But we, in this country, when someone comes and claims asylum, we don't let them work. We no. give them 30 quid a week and you're not allowed to work. And then we spend thousands housing them and looking after them and all the rest of this stuff. Why don't we, seeing as we have um, an absolute crisis in low paid jobs and people not able to do them uh, and pl plenty of opportunities for people to go and help and do things that we need in this country why don't we let asylum seekers go and do those low-paid non you know jobs and start paying taxes start contributing start learning english start assimilating start being part of things because when you detain them and lock them up like that they just they're sitting ducks for gangs aren't they yeah i i'm actually i was going to point out a lot of the people coming from syria are actually very skilled and could be very useful in our health service it's not yeah. just low skilled jobs um it, it, it's it, we are uh, I, I find it extraordinary that, that you know we, there's, there's a there's a well of talent out there there's a well of goodwill towards this country there's a well of people who are who, who you know who want to start a new life and we're denying that opportunity to do so yeah the, the fact is if you if you can afford to pay the people traffickers you are by definition middle class right <clears throat> so this is the this is the daily mail reading section of the of the wider browner world which suella bravman is turning away now Anne marie says gary lineker is 100 percent right that's what this despicable cruel inhumane refugee policy is not unlike the germans 
in the 1930s. Unfortunately, it's not like an awful lot of countries in the 1930s, including our own. It wasn't just the Nazis that were unkind to refugees. Um, there, was, there was a lot of countries that had a problem, especially with those who were fleeing in Europe, you know, and didn't want to accept the refugees from Germany. Mike Maynard says Australia solved their problem by saying all illegal landings would be turned back. It worked. Australia, Mike, is significantly further away from the nearest landmass. Uh, and uh, the, what they actually did as well was um, they interned people on distant Pacific islands in conditions that were incredibly inhumane. And because that's so far away from the Australian mainland and so far away from New York and headquarters of the United Nations, uh, it didn't really get picked up a lot by people outside Australia, unfortunately. Um, and just because Australia does it doesn't mean we have to doesn't mean that at all uh, and part of the reason that we've got this situation with 45,000 people coming here last year which is only a tenth of what is actually coming to this country legally to be fair it's half a million come to the country legally 45,000 Celia says I have no sympathy for them anymore I couldn't care less about them don't know if you're talking about migrants or the Tory party could be either I'm assuming it's probably migrants um, but for me I think it's probably the Tories uh, but the fundamental issue here is that the people who want to come have got a really good pull factor and it's not the 30 quid a week it's because they speak English or it's because they've got family here already there's an awful lot where family connections and if you think about it if any of us you know if Putin suddenly decided to drop a nuclear weapon on Norfolk or something and we all decided to up and go somewhere we would choose to go to a country where we could speak the language wouldn't we as opposed to the Philippines, where, you know, it's a bit more difficult to learn Tagalog or something. We'd go to Australia, we'd go to America, we'd go to France because we had a bit of GCSE behind us. Uh, we wouldn't go to somewhere that we hadn't learnt the language. So that's why there is this pull factor. And that this law, Jason, doesn't block that, does it? It doesn't stop that. It doesn't solve that particular problem, which is we have historic connections with countries around the world. We've got current moral obligations to some countries around the world and people and they've they've got connections to us that's why they want to come well, here it's i not just want to pick up cecilia's point because I, I i kind of i get this and I, and I think it needs addressing because this this is the problem is that i'm not sure if cecilia has ever met somebody who's had to seek refuge in this country and perhaps she should if she hasn't because i i was speaking to somebody the other day who was forced to leave Iran. And they were forced to leave Iran because they'd spoken out against the regime and they left behind their partner. Um, they had to get out because his brother had been arrested and he was later found to, his brother was later found to have been tortured and then died in Iran. He, he, he then left with literally no notice whatsoever, whatever he could get in the backpack to get out of the country. He then travelled in a lorry in freezing conditions with no food across Europe. Um, and then he used what money he had to pay a people smuggler to get across the channel in terrifying conditions. He's very bright. He wants to work. Um, and he was desperate. And when you say, I don't care about them anymore, you should see it because... These are people's lives. I mean, any of us found ourselves in that situation. We want somebody to help us. And I think she needs to sometimes just to think about behind the numbers. Every single one of these cases is usually an individual story where it matters. Mm. 
And that's why you should care, Cecilia. And why did this person come to Britain, Jason? Why did they not stop in one of the, you know, nice countries they may have passed through on the way through Europe? Um, they came because they spoke English, as you said earlier. Mm. Um, and they also came, I know this sounds maybe naive, they thought we were a country which actually cared about people. <laughs> and they hadn't heard of Suella Bradman, is that what you're saying? Yeah, they thought that we were a country which was, you know, kind of diverse and caring and open and welcoming and all those things which when they say, as I said right at the top of this, you know, we speak for the British public opinion, we're in tune with British opinion. The British opinion I want to be in tune with is with the generous people, the kind people, and the welcoming people, and the hospitable people. Yeah, well, well, most of the comments that have come up today, it's got to be said, are from people who are feeling less hospitable. But perhaps that's because they're the people who are more likely to shout about things. If you are, you know, a bit more in the middle somewhere, you're not going to speak so much, are you? Darren says, don't let none of them in. Finally, they've grown a backbone. Thanks, Darren. Um, apart from that, we just we just it can't not let none of them in because otherwise there would be nobody here, including me, including probably you, Darren, including the Home Secretary who's doing it, and an awful lot of else. Right? It isn't. I think though, but one of the things they've been talking about for this is that you know the former Labour Home Secretary Jack Straw has been saying this is just. Mike says, "What's Iran got to do with us?" He spoke English and he thought we were nice. That's what that particular Iranian had to do with us. And uh, maybe, maybe maybe if he met you, he might feel different. Um, we have a long, we have quite a long history of Iran. Um, we even tried to arrange a coup there in the 1950s illegally to get rid of the Iranian government. Um, yes, we interfered in that country, we exploited that oil. Um, we actually have a lot of history of Iran. Yes, and that's four hundred million pounds we didn't pay, which we owed them, which led to Nazanin Sakari Ratcliffe's release and so on and so forth. That's what Iran's got to do with us. Um, but there's a lot of people saying this is just red meat for the right wing of the Tory party, uh, and that this is. There's also a piece in the in the, the leader column for the Mirror today, which you may have written, Jason. I don't know, but. Um, it, I suspect that someone has had a good deep think about this and saying, actually, this law is designed to fail. Despite the fact we've had these comments today, and I know there are some people saying that there are, some people in the Tory party are racist and so on. They're a bit defamatory, so we're not going to republish those. But um, the, this is the kind of thing which appeases a certain part of the population. We've heard from some of them today and it's red meat for them. And they go, yeah, brilliant. They've grown a backbone. This is great. The Tories are now doing what I want. They want to get votes for this. They want to get votes off the back of it. It's why they're doing it. But it says here in the mirror, in the leader column, it's reasonable to wonder whether Rishi and Suella anticipate an unlawful ruling under the European Court of uh, European Convention on Human Rights to spare their blushes because they know this is going to fail. And they know it's illegal. And then we'll give them a fresh excuse and a fresh enemy. They can blame the European Convention on Human Rights, can't they? They're, they're not even being subtle about this. On, on the front page of, of the illegal immigration bill, um, Suella Braverman has written, uh, we're not entirely sure if this is legal or not, but we're going to press ahead with it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite interesting to have an illegal, legal immigration bill. Well, that's where we are. Um, and they, they know what they're doing. They... they, they, they it will go to, to the, the House of Lords and they'll be able to blame the House of Lords. And then it, the, the lawyers will come in and will always be lefty lawyers. They're never just normal lawyers, i.e. lawyers doing their job. Um, 
and they'll be able to kind of bundle Keir Starmer into that lefty lawyer group because Labour has reservations about a policy for perfectly kind of humanitarian reasons. And they'll go, we wanted to solve this, but the nasty lefty lawyers and the unelected peers and the blob, the establishment, and those awful civil servants. Oh, it's judges again. The traitor judges. Prevented us from doing it. So all the things which we should be proud of this country is that we have a decent legal system and we have a proper opposition and that we actually have whole people to account. Um, they will moan about um, because it's much easier to, to blame them for obstructing their ill thought out plans and actually take responsibility for a, a problem which is primarily of our own making. But hey, that's how it goes. Yes. Well, a bit like going back to that metaphor about the, the war on drugs. You know, if the, the if if your plan for deterring it is to uh, arrest the customer and then criticise the police for not doing more of it, and somehow you're not actually working on the drug gangs, <laughs> not really going to be an issue, is it? Uh, now, uh, perhaps stopping the reasons people take drugs in the first place, which might be poverty and misery and a lack of education. Uh, now, Mike says government is in real trouble in a few months when the migrants don't stop arriving and the deportations don't happen like they promise now for votes. They'll have to find another other to blame. That's the one thing. Before we move on to some good news, Jason, that slogan of stop the boats, they've, that's going to end up being hung around their necks like a weight if, um, if they don't do it. They're going to go into a general election with stop the boats being hammered over their heads by Keir Starmer if they haven't done it, aren't they? It's a real risk. Um, but yeah, there's a kind of free, a few risks here for the Tories before they kind of start gloating too much about it. Uh, one is it Although it may win votes in some areas, it, it, it threatens to kind of retoxify the party and others. Um, it goes slightly against Sunak's own brand. He's come across as kind of Mr. Reasonable, Mr. Understanding, Mr. Sympathetic. Here he's trying to like be the biggest bug in the playground. It's not a natural look for him. No. Um, there's a, there's a, there's the, the, the issue of, of, of the uh, European Convention on Human Rights, which a lot of Tory MPs on the right want to withdraw from, Sunak is, has said that's not necessary. He may come under pressure to do so, so you could get internal Tory fighting on this. Um, and then there is issue, if, if the plan really doesn't show any sign of stopping with small boats, what's he going to actually say? Um, kind of stop even smaller boats. I just don't, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's borrowed from the Australians, as a, one of the kind of commentators said earlier. I mean, it's exactly the same slogan that they used out there as well. I mean... Um, but it does carry a, a lot of a, a lot of possibly un kind of recognised kind of um, booby traps. It does rather, and of course, he's, the Rishi's uh, election campaign is probably going to be run by one of uh, his Australian uh, election gurus. So, is a man. Uh, yeah. with the Tories. So, uh, it'd be quite uh, unlikely that they'd use the same kind of techniques now. And we've got a comment here who says, trust me, Rissi and Ursula have got this sewn up. Ursula, I think, is referring to Suella Bradman. Uh, Ursula, of course, being the villain from Little Mermaid. I hadn't really thought of the two in the same breath, but now we have. I think perhaps the fact that commenter is using the name Christian Knight's line of Judah may imply that you're not incredibly friendly towards um, people of other faiths. We'll have to wait and see, won't we? Uh, do correct me if I'm wrong. Um, now, we do have some good news in the world. We'll have to wait and see how the, the illegal immigration bill works out and whether it is, as the mirror predicts, just a feint to throw some red meat to the rest of the Tory party, which they expect to fail, and then they're just going to blame Europe for something because that's what we've done for a thousand years, ever since they've been... William the Conqueror invaded. Oh, it's France's fault somehow or another. Everything. Thousand fair, years. I think that was France's fault. 
No, well, no, it wasn't because he was Norman, actually. He was a Viking. So, uh, but then once he came over here, you see, then he blamed France for everything. <laughs> now, a <laughs> little bit of historical context for you there, everyone. Uh, now, we do have some good news in the world. Keep getting into the comments. What do you think about the illegal immigration bill? What do you think about the end of the NHS strikes? Where do you think that money should come from? For any of it, do you think asylum seekers should be allowed to work? Do you have any jobs that you need people to do and that there's no one in Britain prepared to do? Let us know. But first off, there is some good news. And here it is. Now, this is the story of Caitlin Houston, who is six. She's from Wyndham in Norfolk, and she was born without a fully developed hand on her left arm. Uh, and when she goes out, she lets the sleeve hang over it. So because people tend to look at it and stare at it and ask to see it and so on. Sometimes she's all right with it and sometimes she really isn't. But she has now been told she is a candidate for something called a hero arm fantastic basically like iron man um but she would be able to play fist bump high five grab whatever and hopefully be the object of some impressed fascination rather than this objectification she's had her family have launched a 13000 pound gofundme we're going to put a link to that in the comments all right please if you can bunger a fiver bunger a fiver because her family have set up this crowdfunder for her which would it would give her an enormous lease of life and stop horrible people being a bit mean to her in public um but jason is this proof that whatever mother nature can't fix uh the human ingenuity can this story is quite personal for me my mother has exactly the same hand um, she was born with the same little, what we used to call little hand. Um, um, it's the same, it's, it's, looking at the photo, it's extraordinarily similar. Um, and it's lovely. And I was just thinking that my 82-year-old mother could be a bionic gran or even a bionic great-gran. It's wonderful. It's great, isn't it? And because yeah. although her well, fingers... I'm saying that, my mother never actually kind of ever complained. She just got on with life and did everything. You know, she's kind of, mm -hmm. kind of balances cups of coffee on it, kind of, you know, plays, played sport, kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, lived a full and very, very, lives a very, very, very happy life. But if this yeah. helps, even better. Even yeah. better, isn't it? Amazing. Okay. It's, because although yeah. she hasn't got the, the fully formed hand, she does have all the muscles in her arm, which make your fingers mm. move. And so they yeah. can just tap this, uh, sort of just mm. patch it in, if you like, the wires onto the nerve endings mm. and the muscles, and they can mm. make the fingers move in the way that she's never been able to her whole life, which yeah. would be amazing. So if you've got a fiver, I know times are hard for everybody, but I think they're probably a lot harder for Caitlin. So bang on a fiver and help her out, everybody. Uh, thank you for taking us through all that, Jason. Thank you, everyone, for taking yeah. part. Thank you to all our dear commenters. And we will see you all again uh, next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda Explained. Bye, everybody. Bye.